Hey guys, welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm Richie Franz, your host. Joining me today will be Matt Morris, my co-host. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm fired up. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. All right, so on today's podcast, we'll be talking about some under and over um, achievers that we saw from 2020 and whether we're buying or selling their performances. We'll talk about some prospects we think will have a major impact on the 2021 fantasy baseball season, and then we'll go over all of the teams in the 2021 National League Central. On last week's podcast, we didn't really give you guys much of an overview into our lives, and we kind of got straight to the point. So I thought it'd be a great idea if we come up with a way of letting you know what's going on in our lives, but not going too in-depth where it takes up most of the podcast. So I thought it'd be a good idea that we start with icebreaker questions and uh, gives you guys a little insight into our lives. So since we didn't do one last week, I thought we'd uh, do two today. Uh, the first is, what do you do for a living? So Matt, um, why don't you give our listeners a little bit about what you do when you're not podcasting? Um, well, unfortunately for me, that answer isn't as simple as I would like it to be. Uh, currently, and for the past 10 years, I've been a bartender. And on the side, I work on, obviously, I like this project, other projects. The ultimate goal is to have one of those projects take over my life and live kind of more of a passion-filled life. But uh, definitely would say fantasy baseball fits that that category for me. So, you know, here's to our success and wherever we can go, I guess. All right, good. And when I'm not podcasting, I am a crime analyst for a local police department. So I deal with numbers and statistics on a regular basis. So it translates well over to fantasy baseball and football. And then the second icebreaker question I have for you, Matt, is what made you fall in love with baseball or more specifically fantasy baseball? It's a great question. I think that kind of goes back to what you had just said with the statistics. I found with fantasy baseball, even more so than fantasy football, as soon as you put the dynasty and keeper perspective into play, it's essentially like playing uh, a round of chess year after year after year. And I just thought that what a better way to compete with people than by getting to know players' numbers, by getting to know the value uh, of an auction draft and how it allocates towards that player's value. It's a long game, and it's a really enjoyable long game of wits. And when you play against your friends, it's the true bragging rights, even more so than fantasy football. What about you? Yeah, so for me, I obviously started, as most fantasy players, doing fantasy football in a family league, just getting started. And then I realized I was very passionate about fantasy sports, and it was just missing throughout the summer. So I got introduced to a work league of fantasy baseball, actually, when I work at Home Depot. And it was the first year that Bryce Harper and Mike Trout both broke out. And everybody was high on Bryce Harper, and I missed out on the waiver wire. And then in that same column that I read, I believe it was on ESPN, it said, don't worry if you miss out on Bryce Harper, go and get Mike Trout right now. He's the next best thing. So I picked him up not knowing what I was doing. And sure enough, that was the year that Mike Trout had his breakout season and then was drafted number one overall after that. So having the very best player the first season definitely um, sprung me into fantasy baseball and it just has blossomed ever since then. Um, So now that we've 
kind of giving you guys a little bit of background into what we do and why we love baseball, I want to kick it off with uh, some under and over achievers from last year. Uh, Matt and I have put together a list of some people, so we'll go one by one. Matt, why don't you give us your first person that you want to talk about? Yeah, thank you. And I kind of want to just preface the listener. I would say at least three of these players, well, it only looks like I only have two. So two of these players are going to be players that I had on my team. They're players that provided a big impact for me. Um, and they're definitely players that I have a strong opinion about. So I'll kick it off with my first one. I'm going to go Dom Smith. That's Dominic Smith for the Mets. Uh, first base outfield, DH eligible in ESPN standard leagues as well as our league. Hit 316 with 27 runs, 10 home runs, 42 RBIs, almost 200 fantasy points in what was a two-month season. I do not think that Dom Smith will replicate those numbers. I do think he will hit 275 or higher with 30-plus home runs, 110-plus RBIs. And I do think he will finish this upcoming season with close to 550 fantasy points. That would put him roughly top 50. What are your thoughts on Dom Smith, Richie? How do you feel about him? Yeah, I have a very similar feelings on him. My only concern is his playing time, right? This year, there's... Well, from what it seems like, there's not going to be a a designated hitter for the NL, which I believe that's where he played majority of his games because he's not a great defender. So my biggest concern for him is his defense. And I know he's young, I believe, what, 23, 24. So he's very young, so he's got a lot to grow. So I, I like the potential in him, and I can see him replicating if he has time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. He, uh, he's a little bit older. He's 25, but in the grand scale of all of that, I mean, you're right. He's a young guy. I have seen that they're willing to play him in the outfield this year. That may be his solidified home. Well, you're, we're going to have to see. Um, I, I mean, I'm intrigued. He's one of those prospects that had a pedigree for a while and kind of just never really got it going until last year, into the later years. So kind of here's yeah. to what happens. All right, moving on from that, since you gave us an overperformer, I'll go with an underperformer who also was on my team last year. So we're going to go with Nick Castellanos, outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds. In 2020, he batted 225, had 37 runs, 14 home runs, and 34 RBIs over 50 games. So if we extrapolate that over 150 games, which is what a usual player will have, he'd have 92 runs, 35 home runs, and 85 RBIs. So that's not bad. However, the 225 average is where he comes in as an underperformer. Over the past four years, or past three years, he had a 298 batting average, a 272 batting average, and a 285 batting average. So he's usually batting in that 280 to 300 range. So 225 is outside the norm. If you look at his underlying numbers, he had a lower BABIP than what he's used to having. It was 257, where in the previous years it was 337, 361, and 313. The rest of the numbers, the runs, home runs, RBIs, I feel fall right in line. However, if he can get that 225 batting average up to his normal mark, I believe his runs and RBIs will increase and he will well outperform where he's being ranked right now. ESPN actually has him ranked as a 59th overall player. Just to give it some, give you guys some perspective, these are outfielders that are getting drafted ahead of him. 
Michael Conforto, Trent Grisham, and Randy Arozarena. I would easily take Nick Cassianos over all three of those players. So I am buying that he's going to outperform his rank. What are your thoughts, Matt? I think he might be a casualty of launch angle. You know, he played in Detroit for so many years. He had so many home runs taken away. And you saw that when he went to play in Chicago last, what was it, two years ago, right after the trade deadline? Mm-hmm. He had over 300. He had 10 home runs. I think it was 10-plus home runs after the trade. And he had made comments in regard to his ability and his numbers of production in Detroit being lack thereof because of the the larger field and the deep walls. I'm wondering if he went to Cincinnati with this high contract and said, you know what, I'm just going to go out and try to hit a home run every eight at-bats. I'm going to try to be the guy. And you saw his average take a steady decline because of that. Uh, we'll see. You know, it, a full season of six months will really tell that out. Uh, I think he has the ability to hit to seventy with forty home runs and one hundred and twenty-five RBIs. Will he ever hit that, hit that like that peak potential? We'll see. Kind of moving along, um, I want to go for an underperformer, and this is more due to injury, but this is also more of an underperformer over the past two, three years than just last year. My underperformer is going to be Shohei Otani, and the reason I want to bring up Shohei is because this may be finally the year to actually draft him and get value from him. Pulling up Shohei's numbers, they're more than lackluster. He hit 185 with seven home runs, 24 RBIs, seven stolen bases. I mean, he had a pathetic season. From a pitching perspective, I think he had one start, if I remember correctly right Richie before he was hurt and then I believe so they shut him down yeah so I'm actually looking to buy Shohei Otani auction price and nothing over $18 I think this could be the year where he comes back from the injury he pitches every Sunday and moving forward say over the next three years you have a player on your hands that's you know arguably top 30 pitcher he may flash top 10 the problem being is his innings and his ability to pitch more than once a week. What are your thoughts, Richie? Yeah, I, I'm a little concerned that they are going to take take it easy with his pitching. Um, we'll see. I know they they did it last year, but he should be fully healed from his Tommy John. So I'm a, I'm on the wait and see. I personally am not touching him based on last year um however if you do play in a daily league i would definitely agree with you take him because on the days that he is a batter you can use him in your utility spot and then when he is a pitcher you can slide him in so i definitely think it depends on what format you're playing and then moving on i will give you guys one of my overperformers. I mentioned him just briefly when I went over Nick Cassianos, and that is Trent Grisham, outfielder for the San Diego Padres. So the biggest thing here is playing time. They had a few signings, Haysong Kim. They also have Jake Croningworth. So my biggest concern with him is playing time. But moving into his numbers, he batted 251 with 42 runs, 10 home runs, and 26 RBIs. Now, if you put that over a full season, that's 25 home runs. That's a little high for Trent Grisham. I know he did hit for a little power in Milwaukee. However, that is a smaller park, and Padres are known for having a pitcher-friendly park. Um, I I just don't see it. I 
the average and where he's going at, what did I say, rank 54, I would rather have Nick Castellanos, who I think is going to have more home runs, a better average. I think everyone is accounting for the 10 steals he had last year, and I think that's inflating his value, and I'm selling it. I think this is Trent Grisham near his ceiling or at his ceiling, and I don't want anything to do with it. What are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, Trent Grisham, especially in our league, our, our points head-to-head dynasty format is no different than any other waiver wire streamer. You know, we don't utilize stolen bases other than the points perspective, and I really do believe as well that the industry has pumped him up. There could be a year he hits 300 with 30-plus home runs and 100 RBIs and 100 runs and 30 steals. It could happen. I think the likelihood of that is about 10%. So I'm selling Trent Grisham, not buying, not not bidding, not drafting. Yeah, fully agree. All right, Matt, let's uh, hear another one of yours. I'm going to go ahead and go with another underperformer. And this is a team of underperformers, but we are going to highlight the player. We are going to go with Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros at 242, 19 runs, 6 home runs, 22 RBIs, no stolen bases. I am selling Alex Bregman. I am not drafting Alex Bregman this year. I am not touching him with a 10-foot pole. Now, do I think Alex Bregman is not a good player? No. I think the drama around the Astros really affected a lot of those players' numbers last year. I want to see them rebound. I want to see them get through this rough patch. I also can't stand their faces currently. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with the way they cheated, actually. I think everyone cheats, but... Uh, as far as drafting them from fantasy, they are very unreliable. And what I would hope to do is see Alex Bregman continue to falter and then maybe swoop in and trade him for a number four in my rotation since I have pitching depth. So I'm not buying Bregman this year. What about you, Richie? I, I'm, I'm also staying away. However, if I don't get any of those other third basemen that are going ahead of him, like a Jose Ramirez, Anthony Rendon, Rafael Devers, Arenado. If I can't get one of those four, I think Bregman is the oh, and Rafael Devers. If I didn't say him already, if I don't get one of those third basemen, he's the last one for me. Sure. I'd rather have him over the other people who have a lot of more question marks, like with injury concern or just almost falling off a cliff, like Chris Bryant. So. I kind of agree, but I do think he is the cliff or the cutoff where it's just a a massive drop for third base. Yeah, absolutely. So moving along, the next player I want to talk about is also an underachiever, and that is Max Scherzer, starting pitcher for the Washington Nationals. Now, as it sits right now, he is ranked 36th overall, according to ESPN, and he is ranked as the ninth starting pitcher. Last year, he had a 3.74 ERA, as well as a 3.46 FIP and 3.53 XFIP. That's a little bit higher than what we're used to seeing out of Max Scherzer. You know, he's usually around that low threes, mid twos ERA. He always produces strikeouts, which he did last year as well. The thing to note is that he did have injury concerns. I believe he had a right hamstring injury, so I think the biggest concern here and why he's slipping is because of uh, his injury concerns, but also because his walk rate increased. His walk rate last year was 3.07 per nine 
compared to 2019 where it was a 1.72 and then 2.08 in 2018. His strikeout rate numbers stayed consistently high, 12.24 in 2018, 12.69 in 2019, and 12.3 last year. So he's still got the stuff. His command or control is slipping, in my opinion. Um, however, I will say that I will buy him over the likes of Aaron Nola, Walker Buehler, and Lucas Giolito for the simple fact that this is 2021, so it's going to be a longer season. And I believe that those veteran starting pitchers, like I mentioned last podcast, will be relied on for more innings than these young guys who have injury concerns or just workload concerns. What do you think, Matt? Well, this is the first one where I am going to 100% completely disagree. I am going to go out on a limb and say do not draft Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer's career is over. Um, that's a very strong point, but that's kind of a hot take or a bold prediction. But what I saw from Max Scherzer last year and the year before was he is done. His injuries are continuing to compound. They're continuing to pile up. And as we've seen from Justin Verlander, as that starts to happen, the body deteriorates. 37, 38 years old. He'll probably have 20 to 25 starts this year. He'll probably have an ERA about 480. Um, I think he goes, you know, 4 and 9. Um, I really think Max Scherzer's career is done. So that's my opinion. Um, one more thing before we move on. The other reason why I think he still has a little more left in the tank, if you look at his velocities, his four-seam fastball averaged 94.7 last year compared to 24.9 in 2019. Everything else looks the same. Slider 85.5 compared to 85.6. So all of his um, speeds are there. So that's why I think he just had an off year with the injuries. Um, I still think he's got another two or three years. But let's go ahead and uh, move on to the next person you want to talk about, Matt. All right, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do two, kind of speed up the process a little bit, two of my buys, and they are also two players I have on my team this coming year in the league, Luke Voigt and Teoscar Hernandez, both of which I am buying. I do not think that Luke Voigt will replicate those numbers that he did last year in two months of 277, 41 runs, 22 home runs, 52 RBIs. I think Luke Voigt's around 260, 265, 100 runs. 30 to 35 home runs, 100 RBIs. I think it's a fantastic season. I think the price of Luke Voigt is still at a point where you can get that production for a slight value because people may not believe in Luke Voigt. The next one that I'm buying is Teoscar Hernandez. Now, I have absolutely no true faith in him other than the fact that he rose his average. He still swings and misses a lot. He still has very little patience. Over the course of two months, he turned that into a 289, 33 runs, 16 home run, 34 RBI with six stolen bases. Now, my hope is because of George Springer and that strength in the lineup, he is going to continue to produce. We will see. I even think with a decline, maybe hits 250 with 40 home runs and 100 runs, obviously another 100 RBIs. We will have to see if he can make contact because that's where the home runs are going to come from. What are your quick thoughts on those two players, Richard? My quick thoughts are, I agree with you on the power. However, I am very concerned about his strikeout rate. It's you know fluctuating between that 30 to 35%. Reminds me a lot of Miguel Sano, who everybody it seems like is in on. They're thinking this is the year he has 40 to 50 home runs, but 
just strikes out too much and that's not a risk I'm willing to take mm -hmm. but moving on I will also give you guys one underachiever and one overachiever my underachiever is going to be Andrew Benintendi he hit 103 with four runs zero home runs one RBI and a stolen base over 14 games and 52 plate appearances however it was found out that he was dealing with a rib strain so I think that had a lot to do with it. Now, even before this, he was an underperformer in 2019. I don't have those numbers in front of me. But he is heading into the final year of his contract. So I feel anytime that happens, these players want to prove themselves so that they can get some more money. And in addition, I still think he has, has it in him to be an above average hitter, you know, maybe hit 280 to 290. I don't think he does have a lot of power. I can see him hitting 15, 20 home runs. But where he's going, he's ranked 207. Just to give you an idea of what's what players are above him, you're looking at Victor Reyes at 201, Brandon Nimmo at 170, 197, sorry, and David Peralta at 194. I'll take my chance with Andrew Benintendi over any of those guys. Now, I don't think he has it in him to... Be a top 100 player but I think he can definitely outperform his um, draft position and then the next person I want to talk about is an overachiever and that is Dylan Bundy starting pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels last year he went six and three with a 329 ERA 72 strikeouts and a 104 whip he is currently ranked 156th as the 40th starting pitcher off the board I'm actually going to sell Dylan Bundy. I think you are getting him at his ceiling. Um, if you look at his fastball speed over the last five years, in 2015, it was averaging right around 95 miles an hour, and it has steadily decreased all the way until we're at average 90 miles an hour last year. The reason why he found success last year, um, in my opinion, and we talked about this last week, is the change of scenery, I think, going from Baltimore to the Los Angeles Angels um, definitely helped. Um, just looking at his pitch selection, he was reliant on his fastball 50 to 60%. Um, compared to last year, he used it just around 35% and increased his slider and changeup, and that produced more strikeouts, and I think that's why he was successful. However, near the end, I feel batters almost started to get the hang of it or figure out what he was doing and he wasn't as efficient as he was at the beginning of the season. So I am selling Dylan Bundy and I am buying Benintendi, but I am not buying him at what he used to be a few years ago. What are your thoughts, Matt? I like both of those points. I think Benintendi at the end of the draft, if you need a, a third or a, a fifth in some leagues, outfielder, Benintendi's not a bad grab. I think if you're a Red Sox fan or a Benatendi fan in a dynasty league, why not draft him at the end of the draft? You could have him for the next five years at extreme value if he showcases even a glimpse of his former potential. And to your point about Dylan Bundy, I think that was he was a casualty of the shortened season. I think he was a casualty of changing scenery, as you had said. And I do not expect him to pitch over a four ERA the rest of his time in the major leagues. All right. Um... So the next topic we want to talk about is four prospects that we think will have a major fantasy impact. So why don't we do this, Matt? I'll let you talk about two. I'll talk about two, and we'll uh, we'll go. We'll briefly touch on each other's, and then we'll move on to the next segment. 
Yeah, thanks. Uh, again, I want to kind of preface the, viewer, the listener here. We're going to stay away from some of the main names. We're going to stay away from Wander Franco. We're going to stay away from some of the guys like Andrew Vaughn that are obvious. We want to provide four each that are going to provide 2021 immediate fantasy impact in our opinion, of course, but kind of give you some guys that may be off the beaten path from traditional podcast conversation here. I'm going to kick it off with Cabrian Hayes, and this is one you'll like, Richie. He is on Richie's fantasy team, Richie's dynasty team, if I remember correctly, or did you drop him? No, I still have him. Hey, there you go. Yeah, Cabrian Hayes. Known in the minor leagues for having very little power, contact ability, a little bit more glove-first prospect, but he showed a lot of power as he came up last year. Potential to possibly hit 20 to 30 home runs in the future in the major leagues. I think Cabrian Hayes is the only player on that Pirates team that I'm really excited about. You know, they have Reynolds, they have Morton, but I want to see what Hayes does this season. I think he's going to provide that fantasy impact from a prospect perspective that you're really, really looking for. And you might even want to look at him at the end of the draft as just someone to stash on the bench that could be a great utility guy or trade piece midseason as well. Second up, I want to bring in Ian Anderson. This is a player that I traded last year, possibly two years ago, for a big blockbuster to acquire some talent. I loved Ian Anderson coming out of the draft a few years ago. Loved his arm ability. Uh, he, he really showcased his talent, not only in the regular season last year, but in the playoffs. I think Ian Anderson is on his way to being a future ace in the major leagues. Now, I want to see a little bit more ability from the strikeout column on a daily basis for him and on a start basis. But from Ian Anderson, I'm looking for possibly 15 wins out of him this year, hovering around a 3 ERA, and I would say a little more than a strikeout per inning. So, you know, looking at 150 strikeouts. But those are my guys. What is your quick opinion, and then who are you going for? Yeah, I uh, I agree with Cabrian Hayes. Although I don't see him as a 20 to 30 home run guy. I see him more as a 15 to 20 guy. But I think he's going to be that person who's going to give you a lot of doubles, hits the gaps, has a decent amount of speed. I don't think he's going to bat 376 like he did in 2020, but I think that's also a product of a shortened season. I do think he will be a 290 to 320 hitter, possibly contending for that batting title every year. And Ian Anderson, I completely agree. I think he just needs to figure out his command and control. And if he unlocks that, I think he could be easily a top 100 player and I'll produce where he's going right now. Talk about just mistakes. You know, we'll look back and kind of talk to the viewer's perspective on this. You know, we make trades in our dynasty league for, for what's best for us now sometimes, noting that we have depth. But Richie and I have both taken trades and looked back two or three years down the road and said, man, if only I still had Ian Anderson, or if, oh man, if I only still had Jose Fernandez. That's the painful part of playing in a dynasty league. Yeah, you have to weigh whether you want to win now and solidify that, or if you're going to try to build for the future and try to hold on to those guys. But we'll move on. I'll give you guys two players. Um, the first is Sixto Sanchez starting pitcher for the Miami Marlins. He's currently ranked as the number 15th prospect according to MLB Pipeline. ESPN has him ranked at 167th. I think he is going to be a major star this year. I think he will probably be getting drafted in top 50 to 100 this time next year. 
just to give you guys some perspective on it, MLB Pipeline gives him a 70-grade fastball out of 20 to 80. So he's consistently in the upper 90s, sometimes hits 100 on the gun. Um, and he's known for getting ground ball rates. He's got 58% ground ball rate. Um, I think the knock on him, though, is he needs to find and fine-tune his command. He had a 2.54 uh, walks per nine and a 7.62 K per nine. He's definitely got the stuff, but he needs to command it in order to increase his K per nine to that 9-10 range and then drop his walk rate down to one or two. I think he will probably do that this year. He's been progressing well through the minor leagues, and I think he will definitely shine this year. And then the next one I want to talk about is Alex Kirloff, outfielder for the Minnesota Twins. MLB Pipeline has him as the number 26 prospect. He's currently ranked 284 on ESPN. Um, I'm sure some of you guys have heard of him. Um, he's best known for making his first MLB appearance in a playoff game for the Twins last year. He went one for four. Um, a lot of scouts out there praise his hit tool, but don't think he has the power to succeed. However, I think he does have some power in the tank. I think he can hit 25, 30 home runs. He had a wrist injury in 2019 that lowered his production, but we also didn't have much from the alternate training site last year, where I believe people were saying he is developing power. So it'll be interesting to see. He is currently set up to start in the Twins outfield, but he can also play first base. He did that in the minors. What are your initial thoughts on these two players, Sixto Sanchez and Alex Kirilov, Matt? I love Sixto Sanchez, and any chance I had last year to watch Sixto's games, I jumped on it. Living in Vegas, obviously, my market is capped out for MLB um, TV. I can't watch basically any of the West Coast. So I watched a lot of East Coast games. I watched a lot of uh, Marlins games, ironically, since they ended up making the playoffs. And I really enjoyed him. He's the real deal. He's got the arm talent. He's got the spin rate. He's got everything. Once he figures out control with a little more experience, this kid's going to be fantastic. And I'm just praying that his arm holds up because I want to watch him for the next 10 years pitch. I want to watch him become a star. And I can't wait. And moving on to Kirloff, this is another player I actually traded. And I may have traded with Ian Anderson. Uh, I do not believe in him. I believe he is a poor man's Justin Morneau. I do not believe he will have a MVP Justin Morneau season. I think about 20 to 25 home runs with a poorer average, you know, 240 average maybe. I think if he doesn't try to hit home runs, he could hit up to 280 with 15 home runs. I just haven't seen a track record with him where I want to see him in my lineups. Now, I do think if he can overcome the wrist injury, as Richie had mentioned, we may see a different player. I would also like to see him at first base. The Minnesota Twins have a lot of talent, and I would prefer to see Royce Lewis fall into that outfield position long term. But again, with Byron Buxton's inability to stay healthy, there's always going to be an opportunity for playing time there. So, yeah, and you can't points. go wrong. You can't go wrong taking a dart throw on Alex Kirilov, just looking at the players ranked ahead of him. 268, John Birdie. 266, Mauricio Dubon. 265, yes. <laughs> Yasiel Puig, who doesn't yeah. even have a team. Correct. You got 264, Dalton Varsho, but now he's technically being used as a catcher. So just, I mean, 
If you no, I, if you're stuck at the end of the draft, you know, just take a shot. And I know we have differing opinions on it, but worst comes to worst, he doesn't produce in the first two three weeks. You cut him for the guy who's going to break out. No, I agree with you, and I only have such a strong opinion because I I had thought that he was going to be the next perennial all-star coming out of Minnesota's farm system, and that wrist injury is the reason I traded him. You know, I, I could no longer sit back and and wait because the production just didn't return. So uh, to your point, I think injuries like that can take a while to rebound, and it'll be interesting. In a dynasty league, I'm not sure he's out there. If he is out there in your dynasty league, absolutely go pick him up because there is high-end potential if he can rebound. And redraft leagues, end of the draft, maybe in a 14-team, yeah, absolutely take him. You know, he's going to be somebody that may have dual eligibility. All right, let's uh, let's move on. What are the next two prospects you got for us, Matt? Dylan Carlson, who did did get a little bit of a cup of tea last year, uh, definitely underperformed. I mean, did the hype in early what early April last year or late March before the season was officially pushed back on Carlson was, you know, like a hundred and twenty degree Vegas day. And he didn't perform. Dylan Carlson definitely hit the side of the curb. But I do believe in him. Uh, I do believe he'll be more of a platoon outfielder this year. But I think when you perform at a high level in AAA, as Dylan had did, it's just a matter of time before you figure it out in the major leagues. So I would be open to drafting him this year i think in an auction draft i look at about twelve dollars for for dylan uh seven dollars of value and if you're in a dynasty league hold on to him let him hit for maybe a month give him a good month and then go ahead and see if you can move him because i think over the course of his career he's going to be a third outfielder at best maybe a second outfielder but i just wanted to touch on dylan lastly to wrap up my prospects i want to talk about tyrick scoobal Another prospect that I've been really high on for a few years, really big strikeout rates in the minor leagues, came in last year with the Tigers and had a 5.63 ERA in seven starts, eight total games. He had 32 innings, 37 strikeouts. So again, more than a strikeout per inning. I think this is a, a casualty of being a young pitcher on a bad team. This team is going to take some time for Maez and Scooball and Manning to really figure out their repertoire. This could be, we're looking at maybe the next Houston, or excuse me, Oakland A's when you had Zito and you had Hudson and you had Mulder, but it's going to take some time. Uh, Tarek Skubal this year, I think maybe grab him at the end of the draft. It may take two, two and a half months for him to have a really good stretch, but I do think you have a stretch of six games coming where he may be able to pitch six or more innings for a quality start, give you anywhere from eight to 12 strikeouts. I think he has the ability to be an ace. He's just a little bit too young. What are your thoughts, Richie? I completely agree with you on Dylan Carlson. However, I disagree with you on Tariq Skubal. I think he is not the player we want him to be. He has a 20% home run to fly ball rate. He gives up too many home runs. He had a 5.63 ERA last year, and that wasn't backed up with his FIP and XFIP at 5.75 and 4.81. He does have the strikeout ability, like you said, but his walks, 3.09 per nine, reminds me of a poor man's Robbie Ray, and I just I just don't see it. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Maybe he takes a step forward, but I'm not trusting in it. 
So we'll move on to the next two that I have, and that is Tristan McKenzie and Edward Cabrera. Um, we'll start with Tristan McKenzie. He is a starting pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, ranked number 51 on MLB Pipeline. On ESPN right now, he is ranked 227 and the 62nd pitcher off the board. Last year, he went 33 and a third innings, had a 3.24 ERA, and that was backed up by a 3.91 FIP and 3.6 XFIP. He had 42 strikeouts and 9 walks. I think if, and this is a big if, if he can stay healthy, I think he can he can um, fill that Carlos Carrasco um, hole that was left when he got traded in the Francisco Lindor trade. I do worry about his longevity because he is 6'5 and only weighs 165 pounds. He does have all the makings to be a second or third front-of-the-line starter. He's got a great fastball. He's got good control, and he's got a good curveball. And we'll talk about Edward Cabrera. He is a starting pitcher for the Miami Marlins, ranked number 68 on an MLB pipeline. As of right now, he is not even ranked in ESPN, not even in the top 125 starting pitchers. I just see a lot that I like in this kid. He's got a 65-rated fastball. Um, it can it averages, I believe, between 95 and 97 and can touch triple digits. His slider is amazing, and he developed a changeup, which I know a lot of people were wondering, is he going to go in the bullpen because he's only got two pitches? However, he's fine-tuning that changeup, and some Marlin executives believe he could be even better than Sixto Sanchez. However, they do think that they will be their bright future. What are your thoughts on Edward Cabrera and Tristan McKenzie, Matt? I kind of share your concerns with Tristan McKenzie. The size of his body and the ability of his arm strength really scare me. You know, it's one of those things where they don't match up. And he's 22 years old, so he's got some time to kind of add some weight, add some strength, really give his body a chance to catch up to where his arm is. But in, again, his, his underlying numbers look great. I'm just concerned with his injuries. And again, this is one of those things kind of like the New York Mets years ago. This Indians team over the last two years has not had a great track record for injuries. Clevenger has to have Tommy John after being traded. Kluber has injuries and then gets traded. Carrasco, take out the illness, has injuries. You're literally looking at Dylan Bundy as the only guy that's solidified in that rotation as someone that hasn't had the injury bug, and I think this year he will. Um, but I'm excited for Tristan to have the opportunity to really step into those shoes and pitch well. And then from Cabrera, great arm talent. I mean, some of the players the Marlins are bringing up kind of outside of the realm of long-term top prospects, kind of jumping onto prospect radar sheets. Really want to see again where he goes, but that lineup too and that rotation has a lot of arms in it. So... I think be slow with him, allow him to develop, and over the time, I think that Mar that Marlins team is going to have a lot of incredible talent. Yeah, as it sits right now, the ro projected rotation is Sandy Alcantara, followed by Pablo Lopez, Sixo Sanchez, Eliezer Hernandez, and Trevor Rogers. I think right now, Edward Cabrera is better than Trevor Rogers and Hernandez, and could potentially be better than Pablo Lopez and Alcantara, I think they're just holding him down to make sure he's ready and to possibly manipulate his time clock. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him 
um, after the Super 2 deadline, but I think when he comes up, he is going to be this year's breakout pitcher. Any other thoughts on that, Matt? I think the only thing, to your point, is we don't really know what came out of the alternate training camp last year, right? I mean, he pitched in double-A in 19 and had a fantastic ERA. <clears throat> he had eight games pitched in double-A in 2019 at a 279. That's unbelievable numbers. 38 innings pitched with 43 strikeouts. Like, bring him up. Let's see what he's got. Because to your point, Trevor Rogers is a flaming pile of trash, and no <laughs> one wants to have him on their team. But, yeah, let's move on. All right, so the next segment we have for you guys is breaking down each team in the NL Central. So I'll start us off with the Cubs to start. So we're looking at a starting rotation that includes Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies, Alec Mills, and then the final two spots are going to be between Adbert Elzele, Tyson Miller, and Braylon Marquez. Then we'll go down the hitters, catcher, Wilson Contreras, everybody knows, Anthony Rizzo. Second base where it gets a little interesting, they can either play Nico Horner or David Bodie. They have third base, Chris Bryant. If he stays with the team, there's been some talk that he might be getting traded. I thought there was talks to him either going to the Nationals or the Braves, but that hasn't picked up as of right now. We're recording on Saturday, February 6th, so we'll see. Short sub, you got Javier Baez. And then in the outfield, you have Ian Happ, Jason Hayward, and then a combination of Nico Horner if Bodie plays at second, or they have Philip Irvin that they could also play. At closers, they have Craig Kimbrell. Nobody's upseating him. I think the thing to note here is with the Cubs starting rotation, they have Edbert Elzele and Braylon Marquez, both on the top 100 MLB pipeline prospects list. Edbert Elzele is near the end. On ESPN rankings, he's not even ranked in the top 300. He's exactly the 125th starting pitcher ranked. I think he has the stuff. He just has horrible command. He came up two years ago. I picked him up thinking he was going to be the next pitcher, and he had the strikeouts, but he just kept getting hit, gave up too many walks, and uh, we'll, we'll see if he's developed anything over the past two years. And then with Braylon Marquez, I know he's got a heater. He can touch, I believe, 101, 102. And I think his biggest thing is his secondary pitches and his command. But those are the two players that intrigue me about the Cubs. Anything you want to talk about on the Cubs, Matt? Uh, I'm excited for Mar uh, Braylon Marquez as well. I think he's going to provide a lot of lightning. But, again, a little bit young, to your point, and I think they're going to this kind of half-rebuild mode where let's send some of these guys out of town that got into the World Series and bring in talent, but they're going to rely on guys like Marquez to really pitch well, and I, I just don't see consistency. Maybe a couple pitches or a stretch of pitches if he, or excuse me, if starts if he comes up, but uh, we'll really, really have to look to see if he can provide that you know, third starter potential by September. All right, Matt, let's, uh, let's move on to the Pirates. I'll let you talk about the Pirates. Go ahead. Not the most exciting team to be talking about, but there are some pieces here that I'm actually intrigued to see. I want to see if Brian Reynolds can rebound. High contact, high average player, fell off a little bit last year. I think right now in, in draft, maybe you're looking at him to be your fifth outfielder, your fourth outfielder. I think if you're in a three-outfielder league, he might be worth stashing in a deep early at the end of the draft, in terms of keeper perspective, I'd say let him walk, let him go back in. These are kind of the same feelings I feel for Colin Moran. 
had a great stretch last year where he performed really well but fell off again. Kind of the same concept of if he's in a keeper league, let him walk, redraft him, probably a cheaper price or similar price. But the real name that jumps out for me here is Anthony Alfaro. Um, he was the Blue Jays' you mean top. Anthony Alford. Yep, Anthony Alford. Thank you. He was a high-end prospect years ago for the Blue Jays. More athlete than he was contact hitter, even more than it. So the glove never panned out for the Blue Jays. Finally, let him walk. So he's going to get a chance to start. It looks like in center field for the Pirates. If they can give him 120 games, this might be his actual chance to break out. He could be one of those late-end prospects getting closer to 30 that actually saves his career. Other than that, Adam Frazier, we kind of know what to expect out of him. Moving on to their pitching and their starting rotation, this is where a lot of opportunity strikes, though. They're obviously going to have Mitch Keller and Chad Cole kind of solidified in that lineup. And then they have Stephen Bruntlett, who I'm not very familiar with. Looks like last year he had a 4.25 ERA. So, relatively decent. But then there's going to be some opportunity. Will Crow looks like he's going to have an opportunity at that starting rotation. And then JT Brudebaker. So, you know, so maybe some guys to keep an eye on. Maybe come June or July if you need a streaming pitcher. Maybe you find a way that these guys get hot. But other than that, Richard Rodriguez at the closer position. You might be able to get 30 saves out of him if he can solidify that job. He's looking to be 31 coming up here in a few months, so he's been around the block. They also have Chris Stratton, who might take over that role if Rodriguez is traded. Anything you got on, on the Pirates, Richie? No, the only thing I would say is if we talked about Cabrian Hayes, he's interesting. Mitch Keller, let's see if he can finally break out, be the person we thought he could be. And I really wish Kyle Crick was their closer. I think he's got the best stuff out of this whole bullpen, and if he were in that role, definitely would be a reliever, but I have no interest in Richard Rodriguez or Chris Stratton if they have the role. All right, so we'll move on to the Cardinals now, and we'll briefly go through it. So as it sits right now, they I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say that they have Yadier Molina. There's been talks, but they have nobody, and it sounds like Molina wants to end his career as a Cardinal, so I'm going to go ahead and say he's there. They'll have Goldschmidt at first, Tommy Edmond at second base, Arenado at third, Paul DeYoung at short, and then their outfield's going to be a combination of Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, and Lane Thomas. So I think all of those players are going to be sitting at least two, three games a week, and it's going to be a, a fluctuation, a rotation. And then um, we'll move on to their starting pitching. They got Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis, and then Hyun Kim. And then that final rotation spot is what's going to be interesting. Do they give it to Ponce de Leon, Carlos Martinez, or Alex Reyes? If it's Alex Reyes, I will be very intrigued in him this year. However, I don't think he's going to get it. I think it's going to go to Carlos Martinez, and Ponce de Leon and Alex Reyes will be bumped to the bullpen. We talked about it a little bit last week, so I won't go too much into it, but Arenado, I think, um, will be the one that sticks out here. I think he will decrease in value, but I think that actually increases everybody else's value. I don't think pitchers will be focusing as much on Goldschmidt and DeYoung. They'll be focusing more on Arenado, which will give other players like Edmund and Goldschmidt opportunities to get more runs, RBIs, take a little pressure off of them. So it'll be interesting to see. 
And don't forget about Tommy Edmond. As of sits right now, he is third base, shortstop, and outfield eligible. However, with him being slotted at second base, he will gain that eligibility within the first week or two. So if you find yourself without a second baseman near the end of the draft, don't forget about Tommy Edmond. And uh, just play the sit and wait game. That's kind of what I'm doing. I actually have Tommy Edmond in my dynasty in our dynasty league and I'm just gonna have to find somebody to fill that role for the first two weeks until he gains that eligibility what are your thoughts Matt yeah no I completely agree with the idea that you had mentioned about bringing in Arenado and having him take away a little bit of the spotlight I think that's absolutely true and I think guys like Tommy Edmund and Paul Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung are absolutely going to benefit I am looking for Paul DeYoung to finally put some production together on a consistent basis. I've liked DeYoung for many years and I've struggled through the ups and downs and the streakiness of his play. And he's showcased over the last couple of years, he's got the power. So I wanna see him put up that all all together. And of course, you know I love Jack Flaherty. So that's probably the only Cardinals player that I can really root for. But yeah. All right, the next team we have for you guys is the Cincinnati Reds. Why don't you take us through the Reds map? Yeah, thank you. So the Reds, again, last year had a lot of expectations coming into the season. I think this is a very similar season for them. A lot of their players have to rebound, though. You're talking about guys like Luis Castillo, who underperformed, Mike Moustakis underperformed, as Richie had mentioned, Nick Castellanos underperformed, even Shogo Akiyama, who I had big expectations last year for, underperformed. And I think Shohei or Shogo was really the problem of the the Reds. They had too much depth, and I think they've kind of gotten to a point where they have solidified at least what it looks like to be their projected lineup, which is going to be Shogo, Nick Castellanos, Joey Votto. Kind of stopping on Joey Votto's name, I think Joey Votto is top twenty first baseman this coming season. Grab him maybe at the end of your draft. You go ahead and have Suarez at third still. Kind of looking for a rebound season after that shoulder injury. Mike Moustakis, Jesse Winker in left, Kyle Farmer at short, which is very surprising that they didn't add maybe Marcus Simeon. And then Tucker Barnhart at catcher. Everyone after Winker for Farmer and Barnhart, I'm not interested in. Biggest name that catches eyes is Shogo Akiyama. I look for 280, 20 home runs, possibly 20 stolen bases out of him this season. And Nick Senzel they have on the bench. Maybe they slide him into shortstop. As of right now, he is a first-round, second overall pick that is currently rotting on their bench and on a lot of dynasty owners' benches. Yeah, I think we've all had Nick Senzel at one point. Yeah, what a disappointment. Just mismanagement on the Reds is what I feel on that. And then quickly, to just wrap this, Wade Miley, Michael Lorenzen, and Taylor uh, Molly in the starting rotation. I think the Reds have a chance to have a wild card season. It's all going to fall on the shoulders of Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. Can they get back to that consistent play? And then they've got right now Amir Garrett as the closer with Sean Doolittle and Lucas Sims in the bullpen right behind him. Any thoughts, Richie? The only thing I want to touch on is shortstop. There was a, um, a rumor came out that last night that the Reds have been in talks with Jonathan VR and acquiring him. And there's also been rumors that they've been in trade talks with the Cleveland Indians about acquiring Ahmed Rosario. So I don't think that the Reds will be with Jose Garcia or Kyle Farmer as their shortstop. 
I think they're going to be making some sort of move before spring training starts. So that would be the only thing I would mention. And I wouldn't be surprised if they make a move for another starting pitcher. I don't think having Wade Miley or Jeff Hoffman as your 4-5 is going to get it done if you're looking for a wild card or trying to make a push for the World Series. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. And Taylor Malley could have a good year. He's been on the projected pop list for a few years. But anytime you play in Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati, you're going to have a higher ERA. I kind of just want to throw that out there that buyer beware. If you, you expect anyone to pitch better than maybe what Sonny Gray has done, you're, you're really shooting for the stars. All right, then we'll move on to the last team of the NL Central. I believe it's both of our favorite teams because we are from the Milwaukee area, and that is the Milwaukee Brewers. So how about we do this? I'll go over the starting rotation, and you can go over the positional players. Sound good to you? Yeah, that sounds great. All right, so for the starting rotation, they have Brandon Woodruff followed by Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, Josh Lindblom, and Eric Lauer. And then in the bullpen, they have Josh Hader and Devin Williams. There's been a lot of speculation that the Brewers will be trading Josh Hader. If that happens, Devin Williams will, I believe, be a top five reliever, but we'll we'll see what happens with that. I'll turn it over now to Matt to go over the position players. Yeah, thank you. Well, very disappointing positional breakdown from the Brewers last year. Kind of doesn't get much better with the news this week that we have acquired Colton Wong, who, as of right now, is projected to play second base. They are going to be putting Urias over at short, it looks like, or possibly third base, while still having Orlando Arcia also split time there as well. But really this year with the Brewers, what I'm looking for is a Christian Yelich bounce back. Can't expect much from this team if he doesn't get back to the MVP ways that he showed over the past couple of years. You know, does that knee injury really have a long-term career effect, or was it possibly just a blimp in the radar last year? Maybe he was dealing with some issues with COVID, maybe mentally, maybe physically. Another bounce back I'm looking for is Kestian Hira. Good power numbers last year, but he atrocious average, terrible strikeout rate. Both of those need to change, cut down the home runs a little bit, maybe make some more contact. When he was at UC Irvine, that's why he was drafted. He was very similar to some of these high-contact guys that could hit anything. I think of Nick Madrigal as a good comp. Keston Hero originally was not a power guy. Avisal Garcia is next. Avisal is a player that has always had very high potential in my mind and has always underwhelmed and underperformed. Maybe this is his year. I doubt it, but... You know, for Brewer, from a Brewers fan and a fantasy perspective, if he could finally break out and hit 25 home runs, hit 300, and have 100 RBIs, he might be looking at a nice contract. And final player I want to talk about is Omar Nevarez. Big fan of Omar Nevarez, dating back to his Seattle Mariner days. Had a terrible season as well last year. Maybe just part of the Brewers' bad luck, but I'm looking for him to bounce back with a 270 season, 20 home runs, 65 RBIs. Omar Nevarez, I'm going to say, is a top eight catcher this season it's very ambitious the only thing i'd like to add is with the addition of colton wong that's more of a defensive move than an offensive i think that helps josh lindblom the most he's notorious for being a ground ball pitcher so now our defense is looking pretty good with orlando arcia urias and wong i think Hira struggled a little bit at second base so i think having him at first base he doesn't have to worry about the shift 
um, or really coming off the, the bat. He really just has to take care of first base. So hopefully that can help him mentally and we'll see where that goes. Um, but that was, oh no, that was a lot of truth to that with Lindblom. Uh, and honestly, Woodruff as well. I'm excited to finally see a Brewers team that can play some defense up the middle. We'll have to see, obviously, with obviously El Garcia in the outfield, but we can see finally how they're building this team. And this isn't necessarily a fantasy perspective, but I am excited to see some strong defense. All right. Thanks, Matt. All right. That concludes our podcast for this week. Next week, stay tuned. We'll be talking about the NL West, players that we currently have on our dynasty teams that we're excited about, and pitchers we expect to make a huge jump. Thank you guys for tuning in, and have a great week. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you.